On this episode of Riding the 3x3, it's NCAA Tournament Preview Time. We tackle that in lane number three with our favorite NCAA Tournament games of all time and, of course, our national championship picks. Before that, though, we start things up in lane number one with NFL Free Agency Talk, which team has improved the most in the young window and which player has stood out as an underrated signing to Pat and I since our last recording. In the middle of those two lanes, we have NBA trades going down between the Houston Rockets and the Milwaukee Bucks, sending P.J. Tucker to Milwaukee for some uh, minor draft compensation. Is it enough to change the needle or move the needle in the East? And will Nikola Jokic end up running away with the MVP award? All that and more coming up on this episode of Riding 3x3. You can catch on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Let's get in the lane, number one. Tipping off lane number one on this pre-March Madness, riding the 3x3, recording this on Thursday, March 18th, the calm before the storm. It's been, what, all over almost over two years in the making since we have had a big dance to cheer on, a big dance to wager on, a big jam- dance just to soak our our, uh, our basketball-loving eyes in. Patrick Fetch on the line with me here to break down a NFL free agency and obviously basketball-filled show. We got the NBA sandwiched in between there with the P.J. Tucker trade going down between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Houston Rockets. We discussed that alongside Joel Embiid's injury and that shakeup within the MVP race. But, Pat, it's finally here, my man. We got Drake, Wichita State on in the background. Madness. It's fantastic. I love everything about this part of year. Everything about this part of year, Russ. It's just magical. Basketball is the best. We were deprived of it last year. And to see it again and to experience it again, they need to really just play the tournament twice for us. You know, there's so many situations I want to see in this tournament. So many stars that I want to see come to the forefront. Just so many big names I want to see get a chance in the limelight. And so many we're going to miss out on at the same time. So it's going to be beautiful. I I can't wait to see it. Uh, Let's break it. Let's break it down even more. I went into it. I think I might have jumped the ship a little bit on the last one. I don't know if you were prepared for me to give you all those names, but... Let's dive even deeper today. I can't wait for all the talk. Oh, yeah. You're ready to go with the underrated players to watch and uh, and guys that could be uh, helping their teams carry on a run through the Monday show. You can check that out on wherever you get this fine podcast. But we got the NFL free agency to get us rolling here before uh, diving into the madness. And it's been an interesting few days in the opening week of the 2021 league year as we sit on March 18th. Some teams made some serious moves. We've had uh, we've had the Washington football team add some serious pieces. Obviously, the first couple days were dominated by the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick's guaranteed money spending spree over $130 million doled mm-hmm. out. But, Pat, anything kind of stood out to you before we give out our underrated player and uh, our number one most improved team so far. Any storylines kind of stick out since the Patriots domination the first 36 hours? No storylines, Russ, but I'll give you my feel for how I think this whole free agency is unrolling. Mm -hmm. So really, you know, we talked about the massacre that was going to happen with players getting cut, this and that. And with the uncertainty of the salary cap this year and going forward a little bit, I am so 
uncertain on all these players and their futures and how they're going to do for these teams. I think it is such every single free agent is a wild card and whether their team is going to be able to utilize them well is uh, to be seen. But I mean, I think it makes sense, right? Every team looked at their salary cap, looked at their roster and said, anyone who's a chance, anyone who's risky, anybody who we just aren't certain is going to live up to that money or the potential money we'd have to sign, let him go. And I think it's led to a very interesting uh, free agency where I think the you know the best coaches will shine and the worst coaches will blunder uh, even more magnified this year than in other years. Hmm. That's intriguing right there. So I think to me, Pat, as we get into uh, our most underrated player here in the uh, opening lane of the madness riding the 3 by 3 pre-madness riding 3 by 3 here with Russ Heltman and Patrick Fetch, it's got to be the Browns and the Cardinals kind of adding key pieces, shoring up uh, weaknesses around their number one overall picks going into crucial seasons for both of them and Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. Uh, Obviously, I think a little bit more crucial for um, Kyler Murray than Mayfield at this point because he has led that team to the playoffs, has notched the playoff win in his belt, and has a little bit of breathing room there as he goes into year two with Kevin Stefanski. But to me, Pat, those two teams, I think, came in with a plan here. And I'm not going to ruin who I'm I'm going to pick as my most – most improved team so far, but they would probably be one of those candidates in the top three, top four at this rate. I mean, to speak on that, I think it's a perfect example of what I just said in uh, smart franchises shining and others not. The Browns, Kevin Stefanski and company have proved to be wise, and I think that their signings have shown that. I think they've made very smart and strategic signings, where on the other hand, the Cardinals have kind of, they've gotten some big names, but I'm very... uh, I'm questioning the the production that they're going to get from the guys that they have been able to sign. Yeah, some older guys think- in in the in the respect that the Browns kind of spent their big majority uh, of the free agency coffers last year, and they've been kind of retooling more so this year, especially in the secondary. Exactly, and I think making very good signings. When I mean, I think the Cardinals a little bit of a victim to their situation as well when they just attract that type of free agent, really. I don't, you know, I don't know if that's what they're necessarily targeting, but certainly guys on that ladder under their career seem to favor the warm sun and the heat in uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. So, and the Hale Murray might can, have something to do with that too. It's got to be sure a lot thing. of fun to play with Kyler. That is, that's going to be an unbelievably uh, fascinating wide receiver group, Russ Allen, isn't it? Oh yeah, especially if they're able to keep Larry Fitzgerald. That's kind of a diminishing returns in the aspect that same skill set you're getting from Fitzy and uh, and AJ Green at this rate. I, I saw I saw some people were tweeting out some funny pictures of like Larry Fitzgerald showing uh, like an old Larry Fitzgerald showing an old AJ Green throughout the uh, Arizona Cardinals facility. But let's get into it right now with our most uh, underrated or or signings that piqued our interest the most since the uh, the Tuesday show or since the Tuesday window when we last broke things down. I'll start us off with. Hassan Reddick, Pat. I have really mm-hmm. loved what I've seen out of him uh, in an Arizona Cardinal uniform. I thought he really wowed last year. Obviously, had the big five sack game, and people are going to point to that and think, "Oh, well, this guy, you know, he's just he's just a one hit wonder. He he kind of is just had that one big game." But no, he was consistent down to down. I like the way he was able to amass, uh, I believe, the twelve sacks he had this season, twelve and a half to be exact, had nine sacks created, which is an ESPN metric uh, that tracks who actually caused the sack to happen, not who actually finished the sack. And among players who created at least five and a half sacks, 
Um, your guy Hassan Reddick ranked 12th overall in the NFL, right in between Josh Sweat, Demarius Smith, Brian Burns, and then uh, right above him, Romeo Quara, Shaquille Barrett, Stephon Tuitt. So those are some serious names and some good company to be around. And to sign this guy to the uh, Carolina Panthers at a one-year $6 million deal with uh, the possibility of it going up to $8 million if he really wows and jumps off the page on the edge for, uh, for the teal and, teal and blue or the teal and black, this is a great, great signing, um, Pat. Or not teal and black. What am I talking about? Or turquoise and black. Turquoise and black here <laughs> for the Carolina Panthers. I would have much rather done this if I were the Titans, Pat, I think, than paying Bud Dupree coming off an injury. And the Panthers get a nice value because of it uh, a couple days in the free agency. Certainly. And I'm happy you took that one, Russ. That was uh, great takes, great inside stats that I definitely wouldn't have been able to bring to the table with that one. So I love it. And I'm going to get right back to where I was last spring in these conversations, Russ. And that is uh, praising the man that is Brian Flores. And you know where I'm going with this. Will Fuller the mm. fifth, the Notre Dame kid, uh, coming from the Texans, signing with the Dolphins. And you know why I love this this signing, Russ? And it's just like why I love Flores and what he did last offseason. He's getting culture, guys, right? We saw Will Fuller be a fantastic deep threat number two to guys like DeAndre Hopkins and even being a awesome complimentary guy to Brandon Cooks at times and other receivers on that core. There's a lot of hype around the Dolphins with their top pick also going and getting one of these elite wide receivers from the draft, whether it's Jalen Waddle or whether it's Devontae Smith. Now they have William. flexibility, yeah. Right, and pick your poison. And I think Will Fuller will be a perfect, perfect complement to whoever they go out to get to uh, breed into this star wide receiver. I mean, the wide receivers in this class are so unbelievable. I love the way Flores uh, can develop guys. And you know, looking at the, the attitude that Nick Saban brings out of Alabama, I think that they'll fit perfectly in the culture, no matter which one that, uh, I mean, I think ultimately that's who it's going to be for their pick. So whoever the Dolphins want to get, I think that's an awesome sign-in. Love Fuller, love what he can do. And uh, no matter who's playing quarterback for the Dolphins, they're going to have a very, very nice offense uh, to, to, to run with. Some weapons for Tua Tagovailoa. Needed a speed threat, and they needed somebody that could just really separate and high point the football down the field. Devontae Parker's been a solid receiver in the NFL over the past couple of years, but had a down season. I don't really know what was going on, Pat. I'd have to go back and key in a little bit more on uh, some Devontae Parker, Devontae Parker footage, but he was second, the second worst receiver in the NFL in 2020 in terms of yards of separation per route run. So to me... This is going to be huge for them in terms of getting separation down the field, attacking deep deep, and really opening up what is a uh, pretty sheltered passing attack that we saw to, to attack of Iloa in 2020. 86.2 overall pro football focus grade from Will Fuller. That was top 10 among all wide receivers uh, in the NFL. And at one year, $10 million, obviously hurt by the suspension he's going to have to go through. I believe missing the first couple games of the season uh, in September and the depressed wide receiver market. This is a huge win for Will Fuller, a guy that I think is firmly in the top 25 of most free agent rankings. And because of that, Pat, I mentioned the flexibility there. There's so many avenues for the Miami Dolphins to go. They did uh, go under the radar with the addition of first-round pick of the Titans, Isaiah Wilson, last year, the offensive tackle who's been kind of gone AWOL. He's 
I, not somebody you can necessarily rely on to be a true uh, number one at that spot going forward, but it's a good dart throw. And if he ends up coming to the facility, gets a nice head on his shoulders, and they feel comfortable with where he's at in his development, it could open them up to not have to take Penny Sewell there. And if they they think that Isaiah Wilson isn't going to be that guy and they're still wary, they can take Penny Sewell knowing that they have uh, gotten Will Fuller. And this is the exact type of flexibility that uh, the Cincinnati Bengals are kind of pursuing right now with Kenny Galladay uh, being the only having the only offer out of the out of Cincinnati right now on his table. They want to be able to get that top weapon for their young quarterback, and it's it's the same mantra for a lot of these teams around the league. Kyler Murray getting more weapons. We're seeing. Um, we're seeing Daniel Jones maybe getting more weapons as the flip side to the Kenny Galladay negotiations. Baker Mayfield as well um, has had the coffer stocked around him. So to me, this is this is a great choice by the Miami Dolphins to keep flexibility first and foremost. Absolutely, Russ. Couldn't have said it better. And I just couldn't have said it better. I'll just leave it at that, let you take it away with uh, with your next pick. Will Fuller, one year, $10 million. Just, uh, man. Just flying, flying in and stealing some of these wide receivers are these NFL teams. And that carries us right over into our back end of lane number one with the most improved team so far in the young free agency period, about four days into the window. I got to go with the Washington football team, Pat. Speaking of picking up underrated wide receivers, Curtis Samuel signs with the team for uh, a minuscule number. million over three years. Not necessarily minuscule. That's kind of the market rate people thought Samuel might get. But a high upside guy has experience in the Scott Turner system. That's the offensive coordinator with the Washington football team. Has experience playing under head coach Ron Rivera from uh, his, his, uh, his early days with the Carolina Panthers when Ron Rivera was still the head coach there, obviously. And the one-two punch, the type of creative looks they can give with Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel together, that's going to be very, very fun to watch. They were teammates uh, in college. I know McLaurin on Wednesday night tweeted out that they were talking about this happening and this being a dream of theirs when they were freshmen uh, in the dorm. So you got to love that story and uh, that aspect of it. And then on the other side of the ball, William Jackson gets stolen from the Cincinnati Bengals at a $14 million per year deal for three seasons. He's a strong, solid, just grade, I would say B-plus, A-minus cornerback that has a really high floor and is not going to kill you really at all throughout a season. He's just not going to make those huge highlight plays, but they paid him accordingly for what he's worth. Ryan Fitzpatrick brings them a floor at the quarterback position, Pat. And then even, you know, Lamar Miller, a little Lamar Miller name in there who I think might be a little washed up, but get him in there for depth. I love what the Washington football team has done so far in free agency. They have attacked the weaknesses on uh, on the outside of both the offense and the defense, Pat. You know, talking about that Curtis Samuel and Terry McLaurin duo, you know what would have been really beautiful is if uh, Dwayne Haskins could have also been their quarterback. Wouldn't that have been If he would have panned out. How about that? Yeah. I I wish, (laughs) I wish so much that he could have still gotten a chance. Two out of three did their part. Two out of three did their part. That'd be great. Yeah. But no, no. I, I do love what the Washington football team is doing. I think there's a lot of holes there, but... Ron Rivera is going on good guys. I think uh, he'll prove to develop them, put them in situations to succeed, and that's all you can hope for. Because I think uh, you know the Redskins or, or the Washington Football Team is uh, destined to be a 
uh, sort of a free agent destination once things turn around. Maybe once the ownership mm-hmm. group turns over. But Ron Rivera oh, is definitely the, a great uh, the Rivera I stability. I think allows that. Yeah, though. exactly, exactly. And I think uh, I think this is just a step towards that, and so it's a step towards step towards growth. That uh, division is obviously completely up for grabs. Well, so, so. I, I think that the rest of the division. I don't know if this is possible, Pat, because the, the football team won it with a losing <laughs> record. But the rest of the division, I think, has gotten worse so far. When you think about the Cowboys, not necessarily adding any serious pieces besides retaining Dak Prescott so far. The Philadelphia Eagles, they, they are, well, I don't see them being think, any better than last year. But obviously, I mean, you have to think the Cowboys knows. are getting better because Dak is getting healthy. So yeah. you have to give them that. Yeah, they're gonna, and you, you got to think they're not going to be as injured as they were last year. The different defensive scheme, all that good stuff. I expect the Cowboys, you would think, knock on wood for the, the scared Cowboys fans, that they're going to be yeah. competing with the football team at the top of that division. But it, the so far at this point in time when we record this, the rest of that division in the past three or four days has not improved at all while the Flushing football team has done a good job making key additions in spots that needed beefed up. What's your most under, most improved team so far, Pat? My most improved team, I was going to take this time, actually, Russ, to talk about Andy Dalton. Um, I know I had another another player left, but I would love to bring it up, and I would love to hear your opinions on it, because him going to the Bears signifies a lot of things. And you having uh, as much experience as anybody have watching Andy Dalton and seeing him play and him perform, do you think that Andy Dalton is going to be the week one starter for Chicago Bears? Looking that way, Pat. One year, ten million dollars. He can uh, hit hit thirteen million in incentives if he. Uh, I think. How do you has do you a great season that? with the Bears? I don't know, man. I'm just glad I'm not a Bears fan. That's all I can say about it. Like hey, a Bengals fan is glad he's not a Bears fan. The the fact that the Bears in the past twelve months, Pat, have traded for Nick Foles, taken on his guaranteed money, put him in a quarterback battle with Mitch Trubisky thinking that you were going to get any definitive answers out of that during a pandemic. And then all the while, Andy Dalton was released after the draft. They could have signed him then and and brought him into the quarterback battle. He would have been the best one. We know that. He was at at least decent last year for the Cowboys in in a pretty propped up situation. But that's the thing. Andy Dalton has to be propped up. And he goes from arguably the best collection of weapons in the NFC to... It's, it was right up there, top three last year in that conference, to a dumpster fire in the Chicago Bears that have Allen Robinson, not much else, a question questionable offensive line. And it's just it's just brutal for Bears fans. I don't know how they can sit through this. I don't know why they would care anymore. They haven't had a good quarterback in like since Sid Luckman, basically. Jim McMahon, sure, but that was a, just that was that wasn't that long a time. I don't know if you can call that consistent for it's not like Jim McMahon was running the the th- running things in Chicago for uh, better for more than a decade or anything at a high level. So it's tough, Pat. It is really tough to be a Bears fan, and I, I also feel bad for Dalton a tiny bit. Like he didn't, he doesn't deserve the hate coming his way. He's the best backup quarterback in the NFL. But you can't you can't call Andy Dalton, which is apparently what the Bears did yesterday, and tell him, "Hey, Andy, we'd love to give you ten million up to thirteen in incentives, and we're gonna and you're gonna be our day one starter," which is what he came into the press conference saying. That's bad. That's bad news. Bad stuff all around. <laughs> bad news. Bears. Like, what if they draft a quarterback? Pat, is he still the day one starter? <laughs> what happens then? 
Then they got Andy Dalton, Nick Foles, and a rookie quarterback. Can you imagine that quarterback room? Oh, who's taking the Who's taking the practice squad snaps in that quarterback room? And, it, and it's Dalton. like, how do the McCaskies <laughs> think they're going to get any definitive answer on Matt Nagy or Ryan Pace that they already haven't gotten so far? Like, what more do you need to see out of this duo than the hope of getting Russell Wilson turning into Andy Dalton one year, $10 million. And apparently they're going to be monitoring the Russell Wilson situation leading up to the NFL draft as, as we'll writing three by three, we'll have you covered on all the uh, updates there. But as of right now, Pat, Andy Dalton, your, uh, your day one starter for the Chicago bears. And to be honest, glass half that. full, they're better at the quarterback position. They are better <laughs> at the quarterback position. Andy Dalton, I am. I don't think I'm going out on a limb here, is definitely better than Mitch Trubisky or Nick Foles. Unbelievable that Nick Foles was ever thought of of being competent. One, literally two good seasons in the league, and this guy just continues I mean, catching checks. He won a checks. Super Bowl, Russ. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. I'm, I'm sorry, Trent. Did. I didn't. I didn't that mean to did. throw that sh- that stray, but Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. Now Nick Foles will have a will have a run that will live on forever, but. Uh... He's, yeah, got I mean, statue, really answer, he's got a statue, He's got a statue. He's literally got a statue. What more can you want? I mean, if, if you if you ask me who I actually think got better, I think obviously the Patriots got the bet the most better, and then probably the Chiefs after that, just because they rebuilt their O line with some nice veterans mm-hmm. that they'll be able to build around with some uh, you know draft picks. So, uh, yeah, hey, the, the best, Pats the technically coaches, the... got a lot better. Pat, you're not wrong. Like just on paper, these players are much better than what they're putting out right. there. Last and year. I think you'd be silly to deny that they got way better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, will they live up to that value? Maybe not, but like you mentioned and you know, every NFL contracts a two year deal. So at that point, we'll see how the, uh, Cam Newton and uh, 12 blockers goes. I mean, that's just going to be an insane offense, whatever they, I know they it's like, it's there. like, okay, when you go into free agency, you want to have an identity and you want to have a plan. And I think the Patriots have both of those things, but they're also giving out all of this money, which we know doesn't necessarily lead to Super Bowls and championships, but it leads to improvement. Like Lewis Riddick had the stat I saw on Twitter the other day where the last five teams to hand out the most money in free agency improved by an average of five wins. So it's oftentimes, you know, the Jaguars or the... The, the the Raiders or something like that, a team that's really bad improving up to mediocre status. But that's the thing. We've never seen this type of explosion from a Patriots team, and that's going to be where it's very interesting to see uh, where the small sample size lands here on uh, on the Pats' decisions. Any other tie-ups here, Pat? With, uh, I got nothing. With the be- I got nothing teams. I think right there so far, it's, it's Washington and the Patriots. The Chiefs are a good selection there as well. Aggressive, Pat. That's another team that knows their plan, knows their identity. They have to protect Patrick Mahomes, and they've gone out and done that. Kyle Long, he was on that short list for underrated signings. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, didn't have it, I didn't ultimately pick it over Hassan Reddick because I don't know if he's going to be able to stay healthy with those injury issues, but $5 million, you can get a starting starting uh, offensive lineman like that, at that that money, got to love it, got to love it. Maybe a little bit healthier after the year off due to the um, the quick retirement and quick return to the NFL. Madness time, Pat. Here we go. Madness time mm-hmm. and NBA chatter time. Lane number two, real quick, let's bounce through this. The Milwaukee Bucks are acquiring P.J. Tucker from the Houston Rockets. The forward was uh, maligned and unhappy with the contract extension negotiations that happened with Houston over the summer, bled into the season, he showed up late, wasn't playing with the maximum effort. 
we know the deal here when these teams start to implode. And unfortunately, the Houston Rockets have, uh, I believe, now lost 18 games in a row since Christian Wood mm-hmm. went down about a month and a half ago. They are in the biggest free fall in the NBA. And they basically, I'm not going to get into the semantics here, Pat, with the details of the trade. All you people really need to know is there was a there was a couple of draft picks that the two teams had to deal with each had had to do with one another and essentially one team moved up a little bit one team moved down a little bit and the PJ Tucker uh, player found himself on the Milwaukee Bucks in the meantime so the Houston Rockets get a little bit sweeter draft compensation in the next two years the Milwaukee Bucks picks get a little bit worse there's a ton of like trade there's a ton of pick swaps all this stuff i'm not going to break it down on the podcast because people are just going to drown it out and and start doing other things if i try to do that but anyway tucker 35 years old pat he's having the worst season of his career averaging lows or career lows across the board in points field goal percentage and a three-point percentage most importantly shooting it at a 31.4 percent clip after averaging uh, right around 35% throughout his career. Is this a needle mover for you in that top three, which is starting to separate itself a little bit in the Eastern Conference, the Milwaukee Bucks, four and a half games clear of the Miami Heat uh, at the three and four spot? Very interesting question. I don't know if it separates them from the top three. I definitely like it for the Bucks I and mean, just the attitude and the experience that P.J. Tucker brings, everything about him. <clears throat> I, I think it's a great... I think it's a great move for them just to get some type of attitude like that. The defensive stopper. And I their, think their bench is under- They need something right. on that bench. And that's what's upsetting is hopefully, you know, P.J. Tucker would go to a situation where you get very limited minutes, maybe 10 minutes. But down the line in the playoffs, I could almost see P.J. Tucker being forced into a role where he's getting, you know, 20 plus minutes off the bench trying to be some defensive stopper in the final minutes. And I'm afraid that's just not what he is. So I hope well, that that's what they brought him for, right, Pat? I mean, you, th- you got to think the final five is going to be Middleton, Giannis, Holiday, Divincenzo, and Tucker, right? That's what like who else at. would that's you trust what... out there besides PJ Tucker at this point? I don't know. I mean, I'm going to have to look back into the roster. It, it's like Bryn Forbes, for Bobby Portis, Brooke Lopez. Pat or I mean, uh, Connington fall. Pat Connaughton. Connaughton's a disaster. I couldn't. I can't play him in the playoffs, and that's the thing. That's, that's the, the issue th- with the Bucks is they have gone so top heavy, Pat. That this that PJ Tucker is all of a sudden at 35 years old, a crucial part of their championship race. And it exposed them last year in the playoffs. Talk about a top three. It was the number four team, the Heat, that made it look easy. Got you know four one gentlemen sweeped them last year. So. The depth is definitely a problem. I think more so the problem is just the lack of consistency they've had at point guard. Just no real playmaking guard that's been able to play alongside Giannis. I mean, sure, Middleton gets his points. He's a great shooter, creates his own shot, but he's he just improved doesn't do on that. But you're right. He, they don't have a they don't have a true point. Drew Holiday's it, it, solid point guard, but he's not going to be out there dishing 10, 10 to twelve dimes in the playoffs. Yeah, and Giannis is just such a, an anomaly in the league right now that. I just don't know if a coach or a scheme has been able to find a way to really unlock him in the playoffs when teams are just able to, you know, beat him down or what so. And it's just like a very interesting dynamic that the Bucks are dealing with. I don't think they really have a chance whatsoever to make it out of the East this year. But uh, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, Giannis does have to develop his game. He has to create some type of shot and not be such a, a two-way player, just like a drive to the hoop and a dish guy. He, he has to find a way to sort of, uh, you know, make his game 
more conducive to, to, to what it takes to really lead a team if he's going to be that. And if not that, he, he needs a true superstar alongside him. And so uh, I, I'm not sure what the answer is for the Bucks, but it certainly isn't P.J. Tucker. It moves the needle a little bit here. I think it firmly puts them in the running to get that number one seed and shores up that depth, like I was saying. But, Pat, the biggest question mark around this team continues to be Mike Budenholzer. I don't have question marks around Giannis. I don't have question marks about Middleton or Drew Holiday or P.J. Tucker, for that matter. I think these guys can can play at a championship level and be a championship uh, type of coagulated team. But Mike Budenholzer, his lack of innovation just really troubles me. His his inability to play younger players on this roster as opposed to uh, going out and giving up more draft assets for a P.J. Tucker at 35 years old, who could be broken down at this point. Who knows? We're trying to figure out if he's just quit care if he just quit carrying in Houston, or if he is actually over the hill. But when you got a guy like, for example, like like uh, the Ringers, um, the Ringers, Jonathan Sharks brought up Jordan Wara, a uh, a young guy out of uh, Louisville, six foot eight, two twenty five. Uh, he can he can make threes, three and D type of wing. Was a strong player at Louisville. Shot it at a thirty nine point four percent clip there uh, in uh, in his time with the Cardinals. So, like, where is his run? When are they going to start to develop some more of these younger guys and stop relying on? Really, at this point, you got a middle-aged Drew Holiday at mid-30s and a mid-30s P.J. Tucker to go along with a mid-30s Brooke Lopez. Like This is one of the oldest teams uh, in the league alongside the L.A. Lakers, and they don't have the championship pedigree to back it up like the team in La La Land. And that's exactly it. We almost looked at Giannis as he was the one to take over the mantle, the the one that was going to grab the torch from LeBron, but he clearly isn't that, and he hasn't developed his game into someone who's able to do that. And so, I mean, Durant's been doing it his whole career, playing along other superstars. So, I mean, it's not shameful for Giannis to need another I mean, person. has he not developed? I mean, what, he's averaging 29, 11.8 11. on 63% from two-point. Two, he's averaging... Uh, Assist-wise, 6.2 assists per game. Like Giannis this season has basically put up a carbon copy of the most efficient, one of the most historic MVP runs he had of all time last year. And it's easy to do that in the regular season, but he's not going to be able to do that against you know Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons on his on his back hip when it, when it's very easy just to funnel him into certain areas when you can take you know he has to take bad shots and he mm-hmm. will and that's and that's where I come back so. to Budenholzer and that's why I was. That's why it just didn't matter to me if Giannis came back at all for the Milwaukee Bucks until he makes the call like a LeBron James has done with his coaches, looking at David Blatt change to Tyron Lue, and actually takes the initiative here and saying, Mike Budenholzer is is kind of holding me and this team back by not innovating enough, then I I think they're going to be pretty stuck. But they're still a very dominant team. They're blowing teams out left and right. One of the best point differentials in the NBA, plus seven right now second to only the Utah Jazz. So the Milwaukee Bucks add another piece in P.J. Tucker as they continue a strong run uh, out of the All-Star break. Winners of five in a row in nine of their past ten. P.J. Tucker and Milwaukee Buck. Everybody seems to get their way in the NBA. Everybody seems to get their way. March Madness, Pats. We're about to get to it, but I wanted to touch on that MVP award real quick. Nikola Jokic, now the odds-on favorite at most books sitting in the, uh, I believe, hovering right below the plus 200, or right around the plus 200 range uh, on wherever you can uh, drop a little shekel on the MVP race. And to me, 
it's going to be very difficult for the previous favorite going into the All-Star break, Joe Embiid, to come back and reclaim this crown because he's already missed some games in the beginning of the season. He's probably going to get held out for two to three weeks based on this latest uh, scary knee injury that ended up just being a hyperextension. But those two big men, Pat, were playing the best basketball in the league up to the uh, Embiid injury. And now with Nikola Jokic's numbers and the way that the Nuggets are playing, if they're able to get into that top three and maybe eclipse LeBron James and the Lakers, although they're only they're still three games back right now, uh, sitting at 24 and 16 are the Nuggets, then I, I don't think you can give the award to anyone but Nikola Jokic. The guy's leading the league in PER, leading the league in value added, leading the league in expected wins added. He's shooting 64% true shooting percentage. He's got a 27 points per game average, 11.2 rebounds. He's averaging 8.6 assists on 41% shooting from three and 56 shooting, 56% shooting from the field. It doesn't get much better from an off- offensive standpoint than Nikola Jokic on the Nuggets this season. I love the selection, Russ, but I'm a little bit concerned that it's the same situation as Giannis almost, and it's just not a sustainable way of play for the Nuggets long term, especially when you get to the playoffs. You talk about a team that's a prime candidate to add to it just to get it over the hump. I feel like the Nuggets are it, but maybe the the real answer is just more consistent play around Nikola Jokic. I mean, if Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray can play more consistently, I mean, Jamal Murray still put you know plays games where he scores zero points. I feel like I've seen you know this year. If he can be a consistent, just you know, fifteen points guaranteed every night, be oh, he is that. 20- I mean, Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray's been a lot better of late. He's averaging twenty-one points per game. That's thirty and thirtieth in the league. And over his last, but he still 10, has some. He over, still has some bad games. Yeah, over his last, over he he's he's been a lot better this year, but. It's 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 up and down. I think I think the biggest factor Michael in the Porter in Jr. The, is is really the the yeah, other one. They that's what I'm saying. Just unlock unlock. Really, yeah. I mean, that's the point I was getting to. Maybe they don't need to add somebody, but they need Michael Porter Jr. to be you know a pseudo late season ad by really developing into the guy that we saw at times during the bubble because you know they need a different dynamic to that team because they're too. I mean, I guess the their pace isn't really a negative, but. I do get concerned about the way their offense has to flow through Jokic, uh, especially through the half court. When uh, well, I don't, don't you want it thrown through Jokic in the half court? He's arguably the best passer well, on the do. planet. And I do, and maybe he'll be you know dominant against whatever scheme defensively you throw against. And maybe the more attention you give him, the better he is, right? Because you're drawing people away, making easier passing lanes. So. Maybe See, I'm maybe more worried about the teammates though. in his path to the MVP than Jokic. And I get what you're, and I liked what the point you brought up there, where you're saying Murray, he's he's kind of been the same Murray. And I'll and I'll step back a little bit here. He has kind of been the same player. 20, 21 points per game. That's essentially where he's been the majority of his career. You want him to get to that twenty five points per game level. But a player that could be that twenty five point per game scorer and eclipse Murray on the hierarchy of this team is Porter Jr., who has been. To your point, Pat, playing a lot better of late over his last 10, averaging 19 points per game, 61% from the field, 51% from three, and 10 rebounds per game. That is exactly what this Nuggets team envisioned when they stole him uh, at the end of the lottery a couple years ago. Correct, but I still think that they could use just another piece, and I I do worry defensively about them. Michael Porter Jr. is going to have to play a lot of minutes defensively if they're going to make it past some of the teams in the West, so... I, I just think more help, especially their bench, kind of worries me at times. So, I, I mean, I love the Nuggets. We watched them a lot. I'm a huge fan of, of Nikola Jokic, the Joker. So, I, I, want them, I want to see him succeed. And if, if 
Jokic is able to win the MVP, it'll all be worth it. Because I think that was it's, he's just an awesome player to watch. Just a jolly, awesome person. So I'm <laughs> definitely rooting for it over here. All right, Pat. The madness is here. Rolling in the lane number three. Let's close this puppy out with our favorite tournament game in the history of March Madness. And then our champion. I'll go ahead and start us off. Villanova versus North Carolina. This one stung me, but it was my mo- it's got to be my most memorable tournament game uh, I've ever seen. Championship 2016. We know the story here with Chris Jenkins hitting the walk-off triple uh, after Marcus Page makes the uh, the off-balance one-legged three-pointer to uh, to tie the game at 74. Or excuse me, yeah, at 74. Villanova goes down the court, gets the pass from Ryan Archidiacono, and cashes it. Funny story: Adam Turner and I had a uh, our own like round by we set up our own round by round one on one March Madness battle where we picked each game for every round and we ended up being tied in points and like our point system that we came up with at the end of the tournament so I let Pat pick which team he wanted to choose for the ultimate uh, championship deciding matchup because we didn't both want to pick the same team he chose Villanova I chose North Carolina my wallet got $45 thinner and that was that. A very, very memorable tournament, Pat. I had a lot of fun with that, battling Adam in that one. And it doesn't get much get, doesn't get much more uh, more exciting than a 77-74 walk-off finish. That was an absolutely insane game. And the shot before that was the most insane shot of all time. I know, it just the got buried. Clutch <laughs> kicked, yeah, double-clutched it off the backboard. Uh, that was an insane one. But I, it, it pains me to say it, but I have to say the greatest... I, I don't know if it's the greatest, the most memorable, the best. Uh, the, the game I'm going to pick, though, Xavier versus Kansas State. And I don't even have the year for you, but two Holloway, his sophomore year with a uh, Jordan Crawford, the transfer from IU. Absolutely saviors the dynamic duo backcourt uh, of the Xavier Musketeers going against Jacob Pullen and the Kansas State Wildcats. Frank Martin on the sideline, hair slicked back. Absolute wild game. Two Holloway gets fouled at the end of regulation for three points. Buries the three uh, uh, three free throws to send the game into overtime. Jordan Crawford in overtime hits a 35-footer from the from the ribbon. Sends the game into double overtime. Right. Ultimately, Xavier falls in double overtime. But it was an absolutely insane game. One of the best Gus Johnson games of all time. If you want to look up uh, a great sports call. Absolutely loses his mind at every moment during that game. So as much as that one hurt me uh, at the time, that was an absolutely beautiful game. Kansas State, Xavier. I want to say it was 2011. 2010. So, uh, Just looked it up. 2010. 2010. Six-seed Xavier versus two-seeded Kansas I remember that one too, Pat. That was just the the decade of Xavier. It has been over uh, from 2010 to 2020. They were really, honestly, the small. I would say the small school, the mid major of the decade, with the way they kind of dominated the tournament storylines and uh, had the gay they fans so many great memories. Low, you know, low key, that might have been their best chance at the Final Four. That was the year that Butler went all the way to the to the championship game. Kansas State fell to Butler, maybe it was the next round or the next after. Xavier had had Butler's number that year. Mm-hmm. I definitely felt great uh, on Xavier's chances to make it through if they would have won that game. So it was a sad one, but uh, all-time great game. That's what the March is all about. Great memories. Hopefully we uh, get a couple of those great games added to the list in the next couple of weeks. Close it out strong, Pat. You're national champion for the 2020 NCAA tournament. 
Well, I think I gave it away in the last show, and I haven't swayed whatsoever. I'm going with the Illinois Fighting Illini. Mm. I love Io DeSuma. I love Kofi Cockburn. The dynamic duo, I just don't know how any team is really going to match up against that, especially after seeing the way Illinois was able to unlock that in the Big Ten Championship. They really uh, seem like they figured out the chemistry of the team. And uh, if they can just make sure that they keep foul trouble, and uh, turnovers on it. I mean, obviously in college basketball, foul trouble, just the five fouls, especially with a big man like Kofi Cockburn, how important he is and how, uh, you know, just centralized he will be. If Illinois can avoid the massive blunders early in any of these games, I think any true game, they're just uh, such a dynamic team. I don't see anybody that can match up against those two. And uh, with that being said, I'm going with Illinois. 6'5", as a guard is to sumo. And then seven feet, 285, sophomore Kofi, Co- Kofi Coburn. The 17.6 points per game, 9.6 rebounds per game center. That's the best duo, I agree with you, Pat, in the entire tournament. That is a strong pick right there. I am going to go with Houston, though. I love Kelvin wow. Sampson's team. They are one of the darlings in terms of overall efficiency. They are one of three teams, Pat, in the nation to rank top 10 in both defense and offensive efficiency. According to Ken Palm, those teams tend to make deep runs in the tournament. They're deep all across the board. Got three-point action in Caleb Mills. Justin Gorham is very nice. 8.2 points per game, 9.2 rebounds in the middle of that offense. Marcus Sasser, 13 points per game, um, 55 triples this year. And then Quentin Grimes, the big leader, 17.9 points per game overall, 6.2 rebounds. I love the way the Kansas transfer can pour it in from deep. This team can shoot the ball well. They're versatile. They have a great coach in Kelvin Sampson. Give me the uh, the sixth ranked in the AP poll, Houston Cougars, to lift the title. So before we go. No Gonzaga go, picks, Russ. Pat. No chalk. No chalk. No. No Gonzaga, because that's boring. Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly why we didn't pick it. But uh, – I wanted to ask you this question. Do you think it's going to be the tournament of the big men or the tournament of the guards? And it sounds like by your pick, you think uh, it's going to be the tournament of the guards, the versatile Houston way of play. But you've got so many big guys, whether it be Garza or, you know, I love Balsa and what he's going to do for Florida State. We got uh, Coburn, Mm -hmm. uh, Dickinson with Michigan. Name it down the line. I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of them. But uh, you think the guards are going to prevail, do you? I do. I do. I think it's going to be, it tends to be a guard dominant tournament, especially in today's play. And down the stretch, it's going to take coaching and it's going to take, um, it's going to take, take great veteran leadership from the backcourt positions. And I think Quentin Grime brings that, but you, you have a guy in that too, Pat. It's not like you're, uh, you're, you're, you're right. your case for player of the year in Iowa Sumo, along with uh, no doubt first team All-American selection there is going to be able to fit that bill. I like our picks here. I think they're, they're strong. We both picking teams, picking the top two seeds out of the Midwest bracket. And I think that is probably, in my opinion, Pat, the strongest bracket, in large part Same, because like yep. Loyola Chicago is is most times going to be a four to five seed. And if we were going off a of Ken Palm, then they would be way up there, like a three to four seed. West Virginia was definitely going to be one of my sleeper picks, too, because of their guard play and their ability to shoot the ball. And Huggy Bear, too. Yeah. Unfortunately, they kind of just got stuck in the in the bracket of death down there, in the corner of death in this year's bracket. So I really hope we get Illinois-Houston. It would be a fantastic game. Game of the tournament is what I said last podcast already. So hoping we get it. A little Illinois-Oklahoma State thriller into a potential sure. either way, Illinois Please. or Oklahoma State taking on Houston. 
We Tennessee love too. I love Tennessee and what they were doing. I love Ponds and uh, Yves Ponds. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to be the Frenchman. You were loving the Frenchman on uh, on the early, yes. earlier in the week show. <laughs> I th- and he could he could mess up the whole show. He could beat he could probably beat Cade Cunningham. He could uh, help that team get past the tough Illinois team if they can make it sloppy enough. So you never know what's going to happen in March. There could be some teams that throw a whole wrench in what we want to see, and it's going to happen. And uh, I think this could be one of the more chaotic tournaments in a while. And it won't even feel like it just because of the lack, just because these teams feel so evenly matched. But as far as the seeding and numbers that win, I really think we'll see some chaos. Everybody in one location, hopefully uh, have some great basketball. Might increase the quality of basketball because of the lack of travel from place to place. So hopefully we get that for Patrick Fetch. I am Russ Heltman, wishing everybody a very happy, fun, healthy opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. We'll be back, we'll be back on uh, Monday night, possibly Tuesday afternoon, depending on schedules, to recap all the action. It's going to be a lot of fun. Good luck to everybody on their bracket pools. Let's tip this thing off.